everybody else is kind of this, you know, late twenty something d bag. You know, just the guys you just want to beat. Just you know, the reason why we started re- this podcast. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's they'll they'll go they'll go shoot Hurricane Irma for like twenty bucks a day or something like that. They're that guy. To listen to them talk about it is like you just want to stab yourself in the face. It's it's worth it's a it's 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 a worth it's a worthwhile uh, listen to. Yeah, I just I I have such a low tolerance for douchebag. Oh, uh, this will make you crazy. This is <laughs> like you thought Chase Jarvis was bad. You ain't seen nothing, man. These guys. Sometime when you just really want to be angry. It's like how I use Twitter now. Oh. I want to get pissed off. I'm going to go look at Twitter for 20 minutes. While you sit on the <gasps> job. While you sit on the job. Yeah, yeah. I'm constipated. I'm looking at Twitter and I'm angry. <laughs> Perfect way to start my day. Testing one, two, three on my mic. Testing one, two, three on my mic. I'm Todd Meisner. I'm Todd Wilbur. And you're surprised to hear Todd Wilbur's <laughs> voice because he hasn't been here for three podcasts. Wow, that long? Yeah, I had to do the whole intern thing by myself. Ugh. They, they, they. Those were three great kids, by the way. They, they were. They, that was. That's actually a pretty good podcast. But, um, but then um, I did Kranz by myself. I could have used. That was some a good one. Oh, did you like that? I like that one. He's a good man. He's a good. I'm. 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 You know what? Uh, kudos to that guy. Yeah. No. I. 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 I Brian really has. Um, uh, um, we had, like he said, we we and we suffered all of his his yeah. young mistakes. Yeah. But I I don't know that totally to be true. But he, um, boy, he's taken control of his life and his career, and 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 has done really well. I'm glad he was able to come on the podcast. I thought it turned out pretty well. Yeah, would have been better if you'd been here. But well. you were off with your summer of fun, yeah. taking your daughter to college. Yeah. And then having your other daughter My come home to go trip, to college. Tenth trip to Wisconsin this year. How much Oktoberfest did you bring home? Uh, about, about about a case and a half. Did about. you? But if I remember the story correctly, you wanted to get more at the last gas station before more. you crossed the bridge well, to the wife. You, you know, know how you? it is. You know how it is. It's like, uh, I'm going to go. You know, we, we go back up in October. To watch and, uh, other people's leaves. To watch other people's leaves. And uh, I, you won't be able to find it anywhere. And I'll be mad that. All mine's all gone, um, so you know, yeah. But the other thing that you are into now, <clears throat> and we've been threatening people with a podcast about this for a while. This is true. And you are doing tintype photography for people who don't know what that was or is. Can you explain it? Well, the process—it's—it's it's one of the earliest forms of photography. Um, the process is a, a chemical. Um, kind of concoction that um, it's it starts with literally it's a they call it tin type I use aluminum uh, I don't think anybody uses real tin um, but it's the black kind of aluminum uh, that you'd see on a plaque you know for uh, a sports trophy or something like that and uh, you can, I didn't win in very many of those I okay, me neither um, but you can buy them in sheets and. Um, you know, you can cut them to size. Anyway, you pour uh, a collodion, a chemical that will um, it uh, it's ether and alcohol and gun cotton, um, and it forms like a pudding skim on a piece of uh, the tin, and uh, then that goes into a silver nitrate bath, and that's just you know quite literally silver dissolved silver crystals in water. 
and then it becomes light sensitive and then you got to put it in a film holder and then um it's it's the, a shorthand version of this is it's wet plate photography um from the film holder it goes into a, like a land view camera or i mean you can you literally build an, your own you know shoebox camera with a pinhole or whatever um to make a photo good luck with that but um I use a land view camera and then uh, you make an exposure. It takes a tremendous amount of light. Um, and then you go in and you develop the plate uh, and then you fix the plate um, with a chemical fixer. And what you end up with is a piece of tin with um, the silver crystals uh, that have become, that have been affected by the light uh, forged under the tin. So it makes this really, really cool, shiny portrait. Um, this is this is the type of photography it started I think 1851 if my vague knowledge of this my history on this stuff is right and it's if you have if you've seen a Civil War photograph it was probably done on a tin type um, you know the picture of Abe Lincoln that everybody kind of remembers with his uh, you know big huge hat that was a tin type um, so yeah that's kind of the basis of it so I guess the question. People are probably a lot of people who are listening to this are like, why are you going to that why? much trouble? Yeah. So first of all, it started. You got the camera. I guess. Yeah, what is your I, motivation? Well, What's the motivation to do this? When um, I was still here, so this goes back three or four years, and um, just it, it wasn't that you know I love still love digital photography. I still love doing. I still love manipulating digital images on my computer. There's nothing against that. I just, I, I don't know if I was getting bored or what had happened. Um, I kind of fell backwards into a medium format, a, a Mamiya RB67 for those who have a lot of interest in a couple of really nice lenses. So I was shooting some 120 stuff and um, I kind of missed developing film. <laughs> I know, I never thought I would say those words, but just just the kind of the weird process. And um, I would probably say one of my biggest continuing, I've always been bad at, uh, things with digital photography is I get in a hurry and uh, my brain kind of slams into that photojournalist automatic uh, pilot, you know, do this, do that, bing, bang, boom, product, you know, off to the next thing. And um, film uh, really slowed that process down because that film just will not play that game. You have to, you know, especially, uh, you know, Mimia doesn't have a, a Mimia RB67 doesn't have a light meter. So you got to go, you know, you got to really think about light. You have to think about, especially if you use an off-camera flash, you got to think about, you know, where light's coming from and what it's going to look like and its power and all that stuff, all the stuff that you don't have to do anymore in digital photography. So I noticed that when I shot medium format film, it really improved my digital photography because it made me think and slow down. Um, so there was that kind of, and plus I really like the look. The look is just, you know, I mean, you know, I get that you can do an awful lot with digital photography these days, but it's still, I still think it's unique, I think. Maybe. It has a texture to it that yeah that you, just, can, you, don't you get can put to. all the filters you want on something in Lightroom and, it, right. and you're still not going to really get that same kind of legitimate feel to it. No, and I, I think they're, I mean, it's a different product. You know, at the end of the day, a digital image to me is always going to look, I mean, you could probably make it look pretty close, but it's going to be, it's still going to be a digital image to me. Um, so anyway, so it's, I was developed my own black and white 120 and that was a lot of fun. Um 
and I shot some color stuff and I did, really didn't want to get involved in the color process in my basement. And so for, you know, a million different reasons. So I was taking it into a camera shop here locally and they were developing it and then putting it on a CD. So it, it was fine, but it's still, now it's a digital image, you know, like yeah. it's a weird, I mean, it's still, in my opinion, a lot of them still looks better than, than some of my digital stuff, but um, so I, I was just kind of messing around with that and I found a, a guy online who built his own camera, his own large format camera by the name of Giles Clement. And, um, he shoots ambrotypes, which is the same process, but it's on glass and, uh, super smart guy really. And probably, um, uh, you know, just a great portraiture artist. I mean, I, I think that's what sets him above. I put him top three or four guys in the world. I mean, he's just... He's just got a really unique eye, a really good handle of the process, and a really good um, kind of idea of what light's going to do to a person. And his images are just, if you get a chance to go look him up, you should go look him up. Uh, his images are just kind of haunting and surreal and, and really beautiful. And he's doing stuff. I mean, he's he's just just doing great. Um, so I was like, man, you know, it's, I'd, I'd really like to try that. And uh, about that time... Um, I ended up uh, at an auction. Uh, I remember the text <laughs> message. <laughs> yeah. Friend of the podcast, Ron DeBrock, had said uh, there was a, a guy um, who had passed away. He was a, a Catholic priest in a small town, and he's really big into photography, and he was going to have their auctioning off his estate. And so there's going to be, a, and as I looked at the ad, and I'm like, holy cow, there's a lot of really cool stuff. And one of the things they had, they had a, a Hasselblad, I think it's a C500M or. Okay, it's the it's a really cool Hasselblad camera, and Ron was like, and it's just this small. This is a really small town, like nine hundred people, and uh, where the estate's going to be happening, and it's I don't know, maybe an hour away. So I thought, you know, there's a chance that that's going to go for way under what it's worth, and um, I don't know, it was a Sunday or something stupid, and I didn't have anything to do, so I'm like, I'll go to the auction. So I get up there, and um, there's just so much photography stuff and a lot of it's just useless stuff you know but some of it there, there's a lot of good stuff left and one of the things was this Hasselblad and it ended up going for more money than I wanted to spend on it but it still was, was a heck of a deal and um so I'm, I'm kind of trapped in in the auction because there's some some big people sitting around me and uh so I'm just kind of waiting for a break when I can just boogaloo and the uh, Ron had warned me that the auctioneer wasn't a real bright guy, and um, good lord, he wasn't. Um, they held up; it was a Calumet C1 Landview camera, and um, it was all folded up. And uh, I had looked at it beforehand in passing, not thinking twice about it. And the guy didn't know what it was, <laughs> and he was just like, "It's one of, something from the photography." And uh, I raised my hand. To say, well, it's a Landview camera. Well, it was it's, it's a Landview camera, and you have to unfold it, and there's bellows, and uh, and he goes, well, let's start the bidding, and here we go, and so I bid. I was the first person to bid on the Landview camera. So, and then and other people did bid against me, but I ended up getting it for just a stupid price, and um, I don't know. So and so the adventure began because then it was it didn't have a lens or a lens board, so I had to track down a lens, and then the lens it, it came on a lens board that didn't fit the camera, so I had to go had to have a guy make a lens board for the camera, and then um, well I did I got this ridiculous uh, tripod for it. 
that. Yeah, this this, this, this tri the, the tripod is could you we could both stand on it oh, and yeah. it would it it is a ridiculously large is, and stable tripod. Yeah. And and just I mean just to adjust it, it's a it's a thing. Get out the abacus. Yeah, right. Yeah. Get the levels out and the you know, plumb bobs. I don't even know what that is. Um so it's and, and then uh, the first thing I did was there was this proof positive paper where you would t you could take it was it was actual photo paper that you stuck in a, a film holder and then you could actually take the uh, take an image uh, via this and it was the same process a developer wash fixer or it was a bleach involved in there somewhere and uh, it was really exciting and really cool and uh, it was ISO was about four hundred so it didn't take a ton. Uh, my only issue with it is it, it's super contrasty. Like there's no such thing as a gray unless you pre-flash it. So unless you expose the paper before you put it in. And it, it, it was just, um, you know, and I tried that a couple of times and getting the pre-flash to make it look like amb uh, ambient light was really kind of an art form in itself. And Is it like a codolith? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, this was, uh, the company is called Harmon. And, um, they it's it's you know it's an interesting process and with an ISO 400 it's relatively you know safe and but it's not cheap it was pretty pricey and they're the only ones who are selling it so it's kind of a you know a monopoly right now but you know there's like what you know two dozen people doing it so maybe that's it's exactly where it needs to be <laughs> right um but in that process uh then I tried a dry emulsion and that was just a huge failure um, and so I, then eventually I, I ended up, uh, with, uh, starting with wet plate and at first I had a five by seven back and that was a lot of fun. And I started, well, I don't know, the learning curve on this is pretty steep because there's unlike, you know, digital photography, um, th there's, there's a ton of information available on the internet, but there's only so much they can These and these people are just awesome who do it. They're, they're really willing to help you out. There's just so many factors. Like the ISO of this stuff is about 0.25, so like you don't even have a light meter that will work. And uh, and for a while I was using a light meter and then trying to do the math backwards and uh, downwards to uh, figure out an exposure. And my brain doesn't just doesn't work that well. Um, and then uh, and trying to and trying to find the lights. Um, I have you know I don't know like six alien bead monoblocks or whatever and. Uh, none of them. I like all six 100% full power couldn't get an exposure <laughs> inside. Oh my God. Yeah. And it was, uh, and then I ended up, you know, I, I started doing some exposures outside, which was fine, but we're talking about, you know, 20 and 30 second exposures. Um, and this is the reason why people always look miserable oh, yeah. in old timey photographs because they're because you it's impossible to hold a smile oh, for yeah. that long. So yeah. they're they're sitting there with their arms crossed and staring at this lens and trying not to move. So that's I mean that's I when I learned that little bit of photo history that these people aren't aren't miserable. Well, they may have been miserable, but they yeah. but they were sitting. They're trying to sit as still as possible. Sit as still as possible, and usually there's there's actually cast iron uh, 
headrests that think about like uh like you know when the barber's a bad idea like old school dentist chair they would have those like little rubber stops Mm -hmm. that would like touch your head um it's like that except in cast iron and they would so it's you know you you, it's on like on a think of a light stand with this arm coming off it with like a little pincher um and you'd just you know you'd push it up to the back of the guy's head and then you'd be like okay don't move and you know i've i've used a, a similar thing uh with an a a clamp reversed as just kind of a guy just you know just put your head here and we'll figure it out because that's the other thing is uh the lens that i have which is a really nice lens but wide opens you know like 5.7 i think and um it is uh but even at 5.7 i mean we're talking about like eyeball to eyelash depth of field <laughs> i mean it's ridiculous um so you're it's focusing re- upside down and you're focusing upside down and backwards yeah right so that's you know ta-da it wasn't hard enough here's a little more that's right um so yeah it's uh yeah and you've got a stupid blanket over your head because you can't see the image if you don't you know it's very similar to an led screen in bright sunlight um so I and so it's you know over a process of a couple of years I started making some exposures that I kind of sort of liked and got hooked into the process a little bit more. Um, I had an eight by ten back fall into my lap, and I got a few eight by ten film holders, and um, I got finally got one that was modified that, that could do wet plate because the actual film holder won't take wet plate. Ta-da! Um, and finding you know eight by ten sheet film these days is like not. I don't know, maybe somebody's making it now. I don't know, but um, a lot of guys are using like x-ray film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm like, ah, I got to quit spending money on this. Um, and then uh, another friend of the podcast, Dick Oberg, uh, was selling a couple of Speedatrons, the, um, I don't know, the 408, I think. Those uh, were hot. Line. Yeah. Oh, my lot. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. Uh, so I bought two of those off of him and, uh, you know, a box. And um, now I can make the sun happen in my basement. Yeah. And and I think that the, the to give the, the listener a a practical uh, look at what it's like. So Todd lives in a ranch house mm-hmm. in Moline, Illinois. You come in the side door and then you go down into the basement. And I we went over, I think I went over there on a, when you did this on an average summer day and, mm-hmm. you know, it's like 85 degrees outside. And normally when you go down into someone's basement, it's cooler. <laughs> yeah. But it's like he's got this reactor in his basement with these lights while he's setting up. And so at one end of his basement, he has the setup with the, 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 a, back, a, a rudimentary background, the lights, uh, the, the, the view camera and whatever. But right to the left of us, is the door to go into the laundry room where all the magic is happening. Yeah. And so imagine, you know, anybody who's developed film in their parents' basement or in their own basement or whatever can, can really kind of uh, identify this. But, you know, you're juggling around laundry. Oh, you yeah. know, you've got, you know, stuff hanging off hangers. You know, you're trying not to get fixer on your wife's clothes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's this is this is a really kind of earthy project that you're doing. I mean, we're 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 talking laundry room. You got the refri- you got the not the refrigerator. You got the 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 the, the uh, washer and dryer right to your left. You've got this little, you know, sudsy sink right there that you're working in. You know, you've tried to block all the light coming into the room, yeah. but due to the fact that the film isn't very sensitive, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> you know, we've got we've got your one orange light, you know, safety light going. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, so this is this is a really basic rudimentary process that he's got set up. Uh, so you've got the mix, the smells of the mix of fixer and laundry detergent, mm-hmm. you know, a little softener mixed in there, you know, a little Febreze, yep. you know, and then and then right out to the door. So you've got you're he's trying to do this. Um, you know, like by himself, you know, Todd's six, you know, six, four, he's a big guy. He, you know, he's going in and out of this, but then he's got me and Paul trailing behind him, you know? So it's this, this, like we're all crammed into this little laundry room watching him work. And, and we'll post some, the video on the blog of it coming, this picture coming to life. And what you did about four Mm-hmm. Exposures of your of your nephew. Mm-hmm. It was a portrait. Is um, a fire. He's a fireman, so it was a, a a cool pose with his fire helmet. But did you figure you figured out where the scratch was coming from? And see, that's the that's the the frustrating process about this is that you know we rattle off forty images or something, and somewhere in the middle there's one that we want to work with or whatever, and. I'm a notorious overshooter. It annoys me. I'm sure it annoys some people who are standing next to me at a news event. Um, but you get this, you know, he makes this one exposure and he, you know, takes it out of the back of the the the, the camera and then we hustle into the into the into the rudimentary dark room, laundry room. And he can go, he goes through this entire process to get it prepped and ready to go and bring it out to develop and there's a scratch in the emulsion yeah and you yeah, gotta start all over all again. over again and we must have been down there for two hours and you made four images we, we made four great images and all of them had scratches in the emulsion and um and I, I, eventually what i've what i learned was there's um in, in order for the the plate has to drop into the film holder and then uh but th- in order to do that, it has to be loose, but you need it to be tight because, again, we're talking about when we're, when you're focusing, it has to be on the same plane as the piece of glass that you focused on. And if it's not, and, it, you know, you'd think 16th of an inch, well, what's the big deal? Dude, it's a huge deal. Like, it, you know, it's the difference between in focus and not in focus is what we've learned. And what I learned is that there's a little... And, and, you know, this here's a testament to this process. The film holder I have is, is a piece of wood that's held together with gaffer's tape and glue. And um, the, the spring back that's going to hold the plate in the right position to have the exposure made is a piece of water bottle that's been trimmed out of, you know, the, so think of a half circle, probably about an inch, maybe two inches long. And that's what holds the plate. Uh, up against the the thing. Well, uh, the dark slide, if you're familiar with photography at all, the dark slide is what goes in between the film. Your your you know in my um, in my instance the 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 tintype plate and the light outside. So to make an exposure, I drop it in the camera. I pull the dark slide. I open up my shutter. Exposure gets made. Set off a nuclear weapon. Set off a nuclear weapon to light. North Korea is really famous for tintype. I I, I get that. I get that. Um, Yeah, those lights are. It's like a punch in the chest. I I feel bad about setting them off to people, but and I I'm always like, don't look at the light. Look this way, and so you'll never have like a you know a fully lit face portrait from me. It'll always be a little a little bit of a retina, a little bit of an angle. Yeah. Um, it goes away in a month or two. Um, <laughs> a, little, a little sun in your eyes. 
Um, but the uh, so the, what was happening is I was the, the dark side was dragging on the the front of the emulsion because my little spring uh, I was putting it in the wrong spot. So it can't be in the center of the film. But you know this is all stuff that you have to learn. Um, you know earlier I said the ISO is about 0.25. That's wildly, you know, that's a wild guess on my point, on my part. Um, you know I found out that heat and humidity all have an, an impact on exposure time. They all have an impact on development time. Um, so all of these things, there, there's this constant roller coaster of changing variables um, that there's no textbook written down. There's no data sheet I can go to. And it's like, okay, it's, you know, humidity is 85% today and the temperature is 97. So that means, you know, it has to develop for X, Y, Z seconds. Or that means it has to, you know, be exposed. You know, I have to add you know, three more seconds to my exposure time. None of that works. Um, so it's very trial and error. It's very, uh, you know, I, I, to get like one good plate for me, uh, you know, it's usually an hour session. Um, we had some friends come over and uh, it was like, hey, can we do a quick one? I'm like, no such thing as a quick tin type, you know, and um, the process is really, and this is what, and I think the, when you do it, you, you, you become so blown away by Matthew Sullivan and, you know, Brady and, you know, these guys who did it like on a civil war battlefield or, you know, um, the battle of Bighorn or, or wherever in a tent without running water. Um, yeah, I mean, it just blows my mind that these guys were able to make the images that they did make. Um, it's really a staggering feat and a testament to them. Uh, cause you have like, uh, uh, like the fixer, no, the developer will boil at 95 degrees, which isn't an un, un unattainable temperature anywhere, pretty much. And especially in, in the South. <laughs> right. So I have no idea like how they kept their chemicals cool. And, um, you know, I mean, and that, that's the other thing is that the chemicals are, are not, um, I mean, I'm not making meth in my basement, but they're not exactly friendly. Um, no, you're going to grow through an arm. Yeah, probably. But did they, but tell the story about the fact <sighs> that you, you, that you almost got divorced. Yeah. Well, my wife is a high school science teacher and, um, although she doesn't teach chemistry right now, she can, she's certified to teach chemistry and I'm not. I am a, I am a Under, high school understatement. Yeah, I am a high school chemistry survivor. Um, I didn't exactly like. I don't. I, I appreciate chemistry. I think chemistry is really cool, but I never like stuck around for the discipline of it. You know, so I'm like the first guy to stick his bare hand into something, or um, which you really don't want to do with a lot of these chemicals. Um, so I had in in the beginning, um, I was assembling some stuff. Um, so it's when you, when you drop the plate into the tank, into the silver nitrate tank, you need some way to get it out. And the silver nitrate physically is probably the most alarming chemical to me because if you, if you accidentally get it in your eyes, you're going to go blind. Um, it's a, it's a, uh, I don't want to say, I want to say caustic, but that's not the word I'm, it'll cauterize, it'll cauterize open wounds. So it's, you know, uh, and it's, uh, like, um, the silver nitrate you get like at 
uh, like emergency med- medical stores and stuff like that, it's like 3%. This is 9% solution. So this 90%? is- 90%? 9%. Oh, 9%. No, no. 9%, yeah. So you really, um, I wear glasses. Um, usually I wear a respirator when I'm working with it because the alcohol and ether really irritate my lungs and I start coughing. Um, so there's a, you know, there's a chain reaction here. So in the process of making um, equipment to handle this stuff, I made a dipper and I used copper. I was at the hardware store and I'm like, well, surely, you know, this copper soft and uh, I'll use I'll use copper and I'll make a really cool dipper and it'll be cool. Well, uh, I forgot that if you like don't use copper for anything, copper and lead are two of those like weird metals that just, just don't ever use them for anything because they're it's they're just bad. And um, I uh, so I made this copper and I get ready to do a plate. And um, so it's silver nitrate and nitric acid, and, and then I drop copper into it, and uh, it starts creating this horrific gas, and I, there's an immediate reaction. Um, the copper, uh, if you fast-forward copper like a couple hundred years, you know, that really cool green patina, this is like 200 years past that. There's like growths coming off of it, and, um, and the gas is... Uh, so immediately I stop the process. I get the copper out of the, the bath and uh, I'm completely freaked out because now the whole house smells really bad. And um, yeah, it turns out that uh, you created a toxic vapor. I created a toxic gas that was, uh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, the, it, it was such a small batch, such a small amount, such a short time. I, there wasn't a real big concern other than the house stank. Um. But when I came home, and or my when my wife came home, and uh, she's like, "What's going on?" Because it's you know it's, I don't know it's like January, and I got all the doors open and the windows open, and I explained to her what happened, and uh, yeah, she kind of took me to task because it was it's uh, uh, I want to say di- dilamethide gas. It's a real bad gas, and um, <laughs> yeah, and then and then the lecture came about you know how dumb I am about you know just you can't just stick stuff into chemicals, and um, uh, yeah, and it was and w- so what had happened is in doing the process with the nitric acid, I turned my silver nitrate into copper nitrate. Um, but then to prove like how stupid I am, I spent probably three or four weeks trying to figure out how to turn my copper nitrate back into silver nitrate until my wife said, you know, you're literally going to undo like 2000 years of monetary policy. If you could turn copper back into silver, you idiot. So, um, yeah. So my first batch of silver nitrate, uh, a good third of it went bye bye. So. Yeah, wow! Fun times, fun, fun times, fun, fun times. Yeah, it was it was not a good day at the Welbert household. So. <laughs> but we uh, we we were able to you know recover from that, and then uh, and now I have little. You're in plastic. counseling. I'm in counseling. <laughs> She's talking to me again. It's all good. Uh, I've got plastic dipping tools, which make a ton more sense. And um, yeah, and so it, but it is it really is it's a a process that does not for it's not very forgiving. Um, you know, it's I've screwed plates up going, you know, an inch or two inch. And it's I've been trying to use a modifier, some sort of lot modifier because the light's super harsh. Um, but to use any kind of modifier, it cuts it down. You right. know, you, you, I can park one of those Speedatrons on top of someone and still not enough light to. 
So that um, when you to get the plate ready, mm-hmm. you you mixed your chemistry, and then you it to put this to put the the emulsion, the silver nitrate on it. It's sort of like people should uh, imagine that game where you're trying to get the ball. Uh, the balls in the little hole, the little silver balls, and you're trying to make sure you're you're going back and forth and making sure that this 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 chemistry doesn't drip on your laundry and oh, yeah. uh, uh, yourself. Um, but it it spreads evenly along this plate, mm-hmm. and then you have to let it dry for. Well, it's you let it get tacky about get thirty tacky, seconds. About thirty seconds, and then yeah. you. Then you put it in the holder. In the and silver nitrate, put, yeah, yeah, then into then, the holder. And that's that's the other thing is this whole process has to be done in seven minutes. And it's, seven minutes is kind of an arbitrary number. I've taken them out past 10 minutes before. But, again, it all comes down to heat and humidity, the dryness of the air. Um, we bought a um, uh, the thing that takes humidity out of the air. Blanket. Thank you, dehumidifier. This year, and it's and it was plugging along in the basement, and it's set up so it 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 keeps the humidity at a level that we had set, and um, all of a sudden my everything had changed, and I didn't know what was going on until I figured out. Well, it's the dehumidifier, dummy. You know, it's you know, it's I was plugging along at seventy five percent humidity, say, and now I'm at fifty five percent, and everything's different. And welcome to chemistry. Um, but uh, yeah, so the to flow, it's called flowing the plate. And it's I, I hold the plate. And actually, it's weird because I find uh, five by seven plates a lot harder to do than eight by 10 plates. But if you hold it like a pizza in your hand and then you pour the collodion uh, in the center um, and you want a pretty good puddle of it. Um, and I, the collodion is the consistency. If you take like maple syrup and maybe have it with water, it's about there as far as uh, that kind of you know uh, viscosity. Um, and so it's I roll to the to the back corner, uh, and then the back corner away from me, and then to the front corner, and to the then to the front corner towards me, and then the leftover gets poured back into a collodion bottle, and then it's I, I you know I start my mental clock for about thirty seconds. Um, and you don't obviously you don't want it to dry, but you want it a little tacky, and then it goes into the silver nitrate and the silver nitrate. Um, and it's really hard to describe, but under a red light. Um, oh, so you—that's right. You take it, you do this, and then you dip, you put it in. Uh... Right. Then lights go off, and then it goes into the silver nitrate. And when it comes out of the silver nitrate, um, and remember, this is under a red light. It starts gray, and it seems a little yellow to me. That so that's how I know. You know the process in the silver nitrate. It's it's the plates. You know, good to go. Um, and then I I wipe down. I let the silver nitrate uh, drain off the plate, and then I wipe the back down because I don't want to contaminate my holder. Yeah, good luck. Um, and then it drops into the holder, and then you know you you assemble the holder, and then you can open up the lights, and then your that seven minute clock to development kind of starts. And um, so. The process, you know, in miniature is I get my subjects seated and we kind of agree on a pose. And then I set up uh, like kind of a reminder, you know, put your back up against this little thing. And, you know, that's kind of where we're going to need you to be. And um, and then I'll like turn my modeling lights off because they're insufferable. Um, and then go prepare the plate. Come flying out of the laundry room, refocus because it's impossible they for moved. people. Yeah, they moved. Get them back kind of where they're at. Double check my lights. Double check my focus. Drop the film holder. Fire up my lights. Open the shutter. Boom. Pop the flash. Close my shutter. Get my black dark slide back in. Get it into the developer development. Um, again, 
it varies widely from about 30 seconds to about 60 or 70 seconds. It just it really depends on uh, the person I'm taking, you know, their skin tone, how dark they are, how light they are, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, running the modeling lamps while I shoot uh, kind of freaks people out. I think they, I don't know, the lights are super intense, so you get kind of a, a bad expression from them. So I've been cutting the modeling lamps off and just hitting them with a flash, which is just a horrific, horrible surprise. Um, but you get a better, I think you get their eyes open, a little more open. Um, but you then you have to adjust your ambient light and uh, you really want to hit the hit them with the flash at the last second because uh they a lot of people will move when the lights go off there's also a noise on the speed of trauma it makes yeah. a big click click noise yeah and it sounds and it really it literally sounds like a light bulb blowing like if you've ever heard a poof you know it sounds like uh like an old school light bulb so outside off. of the technical part of the challenge of doing this what do you what do you get out of doing this i mean what's the personal satisfaction of uh, doing this you know um I, you know, it's, you know, it's, I've been searching my soul as to why I'm doing this because it's, you know, it's, um, I, I've had designs to do it maybe commercially somehow, but it, it really is a process that doesn't lend itself well to the commercial marketplace because a, if you fail, what are you going to do? You know, you got to give the person their money back. You're still going to be out the plates. You're still going to be out the silver. You're still going to be out the, you know, whatever. Um, and there still really is kind of a ta-da element to when a plate comes out. I really feel like there's a little magic involved. Um, I, you know, it's, it's as stupid as like wanting to be good at whaling or, you know, fighting Indians or something. I mean, it's just, it makes no sense whatsoever, but I, the process is so cool and the result is so unique. And, um, and, and I think that's maybe it is it, it, it's the tools of photography, but it doesn't, the result doesn't feel like photography. The result feels like some, and this is going to sound pretentious as hell, but it, it really feels like, you know, like a painting or uh, a portrait of some other, you know, a, a charcoal sketch or something like that. It really feels, uh, it it's feels, singular and unique. It, it, oh yeah. Yeah. There's no reproducing it that cause that was, uh, someone had sent me an email. There's a company now that'll make 10 types out of digital images. And they'll even, if you want, they'll even put like the screw ups that I make the little comments of dust and uh, you know, where the, where it looks like the chemicals didn't flow right. All the stuff that is completely, uh, you know, on me, uh, they can do that. Um, but it's just, but to me, it's just, it's just another digital outcome. You know, it's, it's, it's the same as putting a picture in a coffee mug, um, where this is just, it feels different. And I, I really can't express what the images look like that I, it, it captures a person in, you know, again, this isn't some pretentious as hell, but it just feels like it captures a different side of the person. Um, so you're I viewing them, you're, you're viewing them for, through literally through a different prism. Yeah. And and, well, the, and, and just the, your eye isn't used to it. I that oh, was the no. thing that my when I looked at your images as they developed and then we watched them dry, was that where we see highlights aren't aren't always highlights. The the, the shadows aren't always shadows. There it's the silver nitrate and the development process takes a certain bit of license with someone's face. Oh yeah, and and. Uh, and it just comes out completely and utterly unique. Um, I was really impressed by it. And but I did Paul, who I don't mean to speak for Paul, but you were in developing something or doing something, and we had not followed you into the darkroom that time. 
And he turned to me and said, you know, I thought about maybe investing in this process, um, but not anymore. <laughs> I cured him. Yeah. yeah. You, you can, and I'm sure Sarah is super happy that, oh, that, yeah. that the, the Coletti household is not going to become a, a chemical dump site. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, yeah, he, he was one of those things you're like, oh, because, you know, my whole career started in the darkroom. And I, you know, I printed commercially and and did all sorts of you know things in the dark room and um, and so I thought I was my brain was my brain kept expecting to see something and I was seeing something that was familiar but also completely different mm-hmm. and so I, I thought it was really cool and I am very impressed at what you're doing because first of all it takes commitment you have to learn a completely new skill. I mean, you have all the kind of basic photography skills to get you started, but, you know, chemistry, don't put copper in silver nitrate. Yeah. I mean, all of these things that you you have to, and it's expensive. It's not cheap. It's not a cheap process. So you're learning on the fly and spending money and and would you, you're having fun though, right? Oh, yeah. I, I really do... Um you know, it, it really has kind of brought a new life. Not that, not that my digital photography life was dead or anything, but it really has opened my eyes to kind of a new way of seeing things. Um, and I, I really do. I just love it. I go to bed thinking about it at night and I wake up in the morning wondering when I can make another plate. Now I'm kind of at the, the peak of my season, so to speak. So I have not been able to play with it pretty much at all since about July. Um, so I'm kind of really looking forward to once we're through November, things kind of settle down till February. So I'm kind of, kind of stoked to, um, to mess around with it again. And I had, like I said, you know, I, I just don't know that a commercial venture, uh, with it is, is, is in the cards, but, um, I'd made a personal challenge, just, you know, this, the photo of the day thing or whatever that I want to make a hundred great portraits, uh, with the process. And so I've been kind of knocking them down one by one. Um, and I've got an- another couple of guys lined up who are going to come by the house and, and do it. And, uh, and that's the other thing it'd be, I'd love to put a mobile darkroom together just because, um, I think they're going to look pretty, you know, 75 is going to look an awful lot like 48, you know, if I keep up in, in my own house with my own, you know, with the, with the, with the availabilities and I want to miss mix, you know, daylight with some of the flash and see where that takes me. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a process, uh, that I, I still, you know, still learning, still coming up with. And, um, but it is a real, uh, it's really challenged me to, to think kind of outside my, the box that I was pretty comfortable in. So, I think that when you were talking about how, when you started to shoot film a little bit, and you, it, it made your digital photography better. The reliance of young photographers, and I don't mean to sound like the old guy who came out onto his porch, but I think that stripping it down to the, the core base elements and then building up from that foundation is an essential way to learn how to paint with light mm-hmm. because you go and you critique portfolios and you look at the way the light is falling and they don't see the light that shouldn't be there. Yep. Their eye misses it and they're like, well, what's wrong with this portrait? I'm like, well, you have light on this side of the person's face that doesn't belong there. If you're trying to create this effect, you're not, you're, you, if you were painting with a brush, you have missed a stroke and put paint where it doesn't belong. 
And I think that that's the kind of uh, analogy that tries to help young photographers understand where their light is going. But I, that, that kind of breaking it down and building up from a base. And the last thing, and we learned this with our most recent intern, Nate, who great kid, and he and I talked all the time about how photojournalism schools, um, you know, they only have so much time. Absolutely. And, and there's only so much expertise or whatever that is that, that can be passed on. And a lot of it has got to be they've got to go to an internship and they've got to come someplace like here and they've got to learn that, hey, no, this kind of modifier will do this to your shot. And then if you use a beauty dish, it's going to do this to your shot. And you really needed to streak your, you know, your backlight across the back so those things show up. Uh, the certain highlights in the background show up and th that kind of learn on the job kind of experience is is crucial but the, the reliance on photoshop and the digital manipulation if you if you show up with a really good original frame there's very little that you have to do mm -hmm. to it to get it to be a finished product absolutely and i think i mean i i think you're on to something there i've i've I uh, recently helped uh, some novice photographers kind of get better equipped with their cameras. And the the chimping that goes on now that, you know, looking at the back of their screen, um, it's irritating because it's, it's irritating to me because I don't know how many times I've missed photos because I was looking at the back of my screen. And that's a bad habit to get into and it's a bad and because i think you should be able to look at your meter and that i guess that was my point is i don't know how many of these photographers don't look at their meters don't don't look at where the meter says they're at and don't understand you know their you know the difference in the, if there's two or three different you know ways to meter they don't understand how you know one way would be better than the other um so it's i i i'm going to start calling this the you know, the, the tin type challenge or something like that, or take a piece of gaffer's tape and put it over your, your screen for a day. And maybe not, you know, maybe not you do this to your guys because you really kind of need to have them <laughs> succeed <laughs> on a, you know, it's like, they can't fail, but it just to go, you know, go shoot pictures of the dog, you know, go, you know, do it on your off time or do it, you know, on a, a feature hunt where maybe it's not, you know, the stakes aren't quite as high or whatever. Um, and just see, and because I, I think that the forced perspective starts you to start looking at the light instead of, well, I'll take a picture of it and then I'll look and I'll see and and maybe I can horse, you know, a little more more light on that on their on the side of their face and Photoshop or dodge and burn it or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's, you know, I don't know. There's there's something to be said for getting it right in the camera the first time. Oh, yeah, that's I. I yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, it, it makes you faster in the real world. You know, if you can if you can look at light, if you can look at where you put, you know put an off camera flash, um, you know it's it's just it's just going to help you. But you know, but not shooting films not for everybody. I get that. You were talking about your brain having to slow down. Mm -hmm. So I've been I've I've been reading it on how NPR does their their amazing broadcast, and you know I hadn't read what would be best described as a textbook in a long time. And I had to take a deep breath. It's really well written, by the way. Um, sound reporting by NPR. And but I had to take a I had to take a deep breath and slow down and read it because so much of what we do is 
on deadline and you're somebody's clamping at you and texting your message, you got to get your pictures in, you got to get your slideshow up, you got to be out, and you don't want to, we don't want them to take overtime and, and, and your brain speeds up, and then it's, it's, it's like someone left a brick on your accelerator pedal, yeah. and you're constantly going and going and going and going. And, and, uh, and that's what, for me, the iPhone doing iPhone photography and thinking of things within the hipstamatic app has allowed me to chase images and make images that are not necessarily in the same realm that I do for work, mm-hmm. which is relaxes my brain and makes me more satisfied with with that image sometimes more so than something I capture for work as a DSLR image. Well, and, and I mean, maybe that's just it, is if you strip away all of the fancy tools, you know, can you still make a good photo? Maybe that that's that's the value of uh, of all this stuff is it, you know, it forces you to use a muscle, you know. Oh, that's you know, can you do it? Can you do it now? Can you do it with this? Uh, you know, I don't know. This is the part I'm going to edit out because I don't know what I'm going to say next. <laughs> what am I going to say next? I'm well, going to say thank you for coming in. Great. All as always, always good to talk and have fun. And uh, I'm Todd Meisner. I'm Todd Wilber. And we've been talking about tintype photography, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. The Talking Pictures podcast is produced by Todd Meisner with help from Todd Welvert, Meg McLaughlin, Brian Achenbach, and Gary Krambeck, with a special thanks to Laura Frames, Randy Fisk, and Laura Anderson-Shaw. The music was provided by Kevin McLeod at www.incomputech.com. To see some of the photos and videos discussed in our podcast, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog at talkingpicturespodcast.blogspot.com. Make sure you never miss a podcast by subscribing to the Talking Pictures Podcast on iTunes or Podbean.